0: My name is Michael Tobin, and you're listening to the Emerald Podcast Network.
1: When you think of rugby, you think of someone that's going to go in and just get freaking clobbered.
0: That was Vanessa Huffnagel of Oregon Women's Rugby. Rugby isn't a popular sport in the United States, but that doesn't mean it isn't played. At the University of Oregon, the men's and women's club rugby teams are some of the most popular teams on campus. You're listening to the Emerald Podcast Network. I'm Sean Meadow. Rugby's a brutal sport. The field gets torn to bits. Players get muddy. It's a consistent sport. There aren't stoppages. The ball keeps moving, and players do too. It's a match day. The men and women both share the field. On Saturday, February 3rd, the men beat Boise State 31 to 0 on a damp Pacific Northwest morning. The clouds cleared for the women's match, in which they beat Washington 52 to 17. But match day didn't start. When the opening whistle blew.
2: This close to pregame, everyone has their own
0: like pregame needs and stuff. Spencer Diriosti is the president and captain on Oregon Men's Club Rugby. He's also in charge of setup.
2: You know, half the team needs to get taped and is waiting to or and getting themselves like ready for the game, while well, half the team's got to be like helping set up the field and everything.
0: Riverfront Field is on the bank of the Willamette River. It's right next to the bridge on the way to Austin Stadium. Oh yeah, there are train tracks right there too. Come Friday, the day before a match, a couple players come out and spend four hours painting the field. This includes lines for the tri-zone, like an end zone in football, and the 10-meter lines, 22-meter lines, and 50-meter line, and some markers in between.
2: We'll have to line the whole field, so that includes you know measuring it out. Like There's nothing out there but the post holes for the goal posts, so that's what we have to go off of. We have to find those, measure out the uh, ends of the tri lines or like the t- you know the goal lines and then from that we can do the side lines and slowly piece by piece we have to get all the lines for the field down and then traditionally on Fridays too we'll uh, go over the field and have to do some field maintenance because there's you know gopher holes and stuff and a bunch of holes so we'll try and soil in some of the holes on Fridays. I went out there and observed the process.
0: It's down to a science. But it wasn't always that way.
2: We ended up with a trapezoidal field because you know the senior classes I graduated and I was a sophomore at this point so I'd never any experience with any of this. And uh, when we got out here, we just started putting the lines down without really a method to do it. Put one of the uh, try lines down, then we started on the uh, sidelines. And when we got down to doing the other try line, we realized we had like uh, 63 meters on one side and 57 across on the other side. They got it right
0: this time in just under four hours. It took 16 cans of paint to get all the lines down. The next morning, the team returned at 930 to finish the job. Putting up the goal posts, field markers, and a rope to keep spectators back.
2: Post itself is uh, three pieces. So, you know, each post itself and then a crossbar. We have to parry each one of those individually out to the post hole, put it together, bolt them all together, and then get guys to help hoist them up. And so, uh, you know, if you only have two guys doing each side, it'll be like three trips for them all the way to our storage area and back,
0: which is on the field, but it's, you know, it's a walk. That storage unit Spencer mentioned. Well, it's not as much a unit as it's a small gated area next to the backstop just on the side of the field. There's no coverage, so the weather, and even people, get in. Women's rugby player Chesley Lindsey, the team's vice president, is all too familiar with this problem.
1: We're hoping to get a new shed out on Riverfront sometime soon because we don't have a space to put all of our stuff safely. It actually all got stolen last season. And so we had to replace it, and because of like building rights and that kind of a thing, we're not allowed to put a structure on riverfronts. So we can't even buy like one of those like plastic shelter things just to put our like gear and that kind of thing under. So, but if we get that passed and we fight it enough, hopefully we can get that, and that's probably going to be like like fifteen hundred dollars or something like that.
0: That especially hurts for club teams because they pay for everything from dues to fundraisers. It's all out of pocket for everything from uniforms to balls, to the goalposts, to the paint that lines the field.
1: All of our dues money goes towards this kind of a thing. So like, I just had to buy new rope lines for the sidelines because spectators can't pass a certain length. And I had to buy new rope and that was about, um, like 150 or something like that.
0: The teams get supplies from all over the place. The rec supplies paint at nearly $50 a box, which isn't enough for just one paint job. ASUO will only fund rugby if it's for a national event. At the conclusion of the women's match, the team sends six or seven players to each goalpost to bring down the metal pipes. The men's team grabs the field markers and loads them in the cars. Their day is done. The sun begins to set. The field has been torn to pieces, as has both of the team's opponents, and it's time to recover ahead of another week of practice and another match day, one week away. This has been a podcast presented by Emerald Media. I'm Sean Meadow. Thanks to Alec Cowan for co-producing this podcast. You can read the full story on dailyemerald.com or pick up a copy of February 12th edition of The Emerald. Music in this episode is Reckoning by Poddington Bear as found on freemusicarchive.org. Thanks for listening.